Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations, a podcast seeking to revive the practice of Christian meditation, wherein we fill our minds with the Word of God rather than emptying them. I'm Lee, and it's a pleasure to be back with you again for another episode of Reformed Meditations. We're going to be back in our study of Hebrews this week, and I think I'm only going to be going over two verses from Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2, 3b and 4. So we've been talking in this series uh, through the first chapter of Hebrews uh, about the person of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about uh, all the proofs from Scripture given here in this sermon uh, about how he is different than an angel. He is not an angel. He is much greater in many different ways. Uh, And we're turning now uh, just slightly uh, to another aspect of not only the person of Christ, but about God himself, and it's about the Word. So we have gotten all of this discussion, this presentation about Jesus, lots of citations from the Old Testament, and then we've, we just got in the last Hebrews episode this question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And that's such a huge question. And what we're talking about today in these two verses, with well, this verse and a half basically, follows from that. It is sort of a pretext to that because we learn about the salvation through the Word of God. And so without any further ado, let's go to the text and uh, and read Hebrews 2, 3b, and 4. Actually, I'll start with 3 altogether. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So we have a a sequence of events here uh, that I I think is pretty interesting, and I hope you do too. So it was at first spoken through the Lord, then it was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them, but by signs and wonders and miracles and all these things. So the word first was spoken through the Lord. And of course, we we know this from the Old Testament, where uh, in the Theophany series, this is part of that. Uh, If you haven't listened to those episodes, you can go back and listen to those where God appeared to people in the Old Testament and delivered a message, delivered some revelation, uh, perhaps a warning, uh, a prophecy of the Messiah to come, all sorts of things. So these were spoken directly to people by the Lord in these ages past, right? We remember the very first verse, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways. So God has been delivering revelation, both by direct revelation in the Old Testament directly to a particular person or particular group of people, think Moses or Abraham, you get the drift there. Uh, But he also did it through the word of the prophets as well. And I think this is part of what the preacher here is talking about. It was first spoken through the Lord, so from God directly to a prophet 
like Moses or Isaiah, Jeremiah, okay? This was spoken through the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. Now, this is what I think is most interesting because these things, these two things go together uh, pretty solidly, actually. That God delivers his message and people who hear it confirm that it is of the Lord. One example of this being borne out in Scripture, uh, specifically in the New Testament, is at the beginning of Luke. It's in Luke 1-2, but I'll start in, in the first verse of Luke in his introduction. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So right there in his introduction, he's telling the basis for the record that he's compiled and is passing along. He has spoken to people that were eyewitnesses of the events that he's passing on to Theophilus, the person that he's addressing his book to. And so what does this, what does this mean to us? Well, God preserves his word. Let's use Isaiah as an example. So God meets with Isaiah and delivers him a series of messages, right? Uh, he is commanded to not only hear the Lord give him the message, but he's commanded to pass on the message. And that wasn't merely done by speech. Like, he, his commandment really wasn't just to go out in the middle of the city and tell the people that they need to repent before the Lord or destruction is coming. Isaiah and many of the prophets, in fact, are told by God to write their message down. So God was inspiring scripture even then. He wasn't merely talking to men, but he was talking to men, giving them words, and then telling them to write them down. Now, what effect does this have then? Well, so there are eyewitnesses, and that's wonderful, but fortunately for Luke, right, in God's providence, he was around in a time when so many eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus and his appearing after his resurrection were still alive. But we couldn't write that today, right, because those eyewitnesses have, have moved on. But through the inspired writing, the commanded writing that God had given not only to the prophets, but he inspired the writing of all of the texts that are in the Bible. These words that were first spoken through the Lord have been confirmed to us by those who heard, because those who heard wrote them down. Those who heard the words after they were written down and read to them, remembered them and treasured them, and they have been passed down, and we have a, a textual history of the written word of God. And that has been a topic of study among believers and unbelievers and historians and archaeologists and all sorts of people uh, because all truth is God's truth. And there's nothing more fascinating, even to people who hate it, than the Word of God. And it makes me think, especially thinking about Isaiah, he was, as of course, one of the prophets told to write his prophecy down. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were found... One book that was completely in its entirety in those caves was an entire scroll of Isaiah. And that was a, a huge breakthrough because there was a sizable group of people who thought that because of the 
the differences in that book that they thought Isaiah had at least two different authors, if not three, writing at different times and sometimes uh, posited to be uh, quite uh, a span of years between the writing of the of the pieces of Isaiah. But after that entire Isaiah scroll was found and studied and dated, they found that that theory didn't hold water because here was the entire text matching the contemporary accounts of Isaiah practically word for word uh, once you translated it out of Hebrew and into English to match an English Bible. It was completely intact and dating back far enough that it totally destroyed that theory. Now, d- does that mean that people don't believe that anymore? Well, of course not, because people are they're always happy to hold on to something erroneous, especially when it comes to God's Word. But um, I, I say this to say, as I thought about this, this short passage, that we are so fortunate to have such a rich and firmly grounded textual history of the Bible that we certainly can praise God for that, right? Because he not only inspired the initial writing, but he has preserved that writing according to the autographs, is what we would say, according to the original writings of the person inspired, that that meaning still has carried down all the way to us so that we can trust a well-done English translation in the same way that we could trust the original texts. And we can't, we obviously don't have copies of the absolute originals, but it's not simply a matter of faith. It's actually become a matter of fact that from the earliest texts that we can find, there are so few differences between those texts, we can practically say they truly are the same. The word has been confirmed to us by those who heard, and we continue to hear the word We should be continuing to hear the word in our churches, in our own study, in small groups, or or things like that. We should be continuing to hear the word, not adding to it or taking away from it, but studying and repeating the word to each other as it's been given to us. Now, the next part, and this is something also that's incredibly interesting. The word was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them. So it's not like God has has sat back and said, you know, I've delivered the word, and it's a perfect word, it's an inerrant word because it comes from him, that's wonderful, but he's not going into that deist space, and deism is the idea that there is a God who created everything and set the universe in motion and then just sort of sat back and watched it go and doesn't get involved anymore. Well, that's certainly not the case. And this is to our benefit, and here's why. So we have the perfect, inerrant word of God, the authoritative word that is the sole rule for faith, for life, and godliness, according to Scripture. We have the the written word, but God also testifies to his word. Well, primarily from the sense of this text, God at the time was testifying to the word not only through the confirmation of those who also heard it, declaring it to be true, 
But God was also doing signs and wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So this is all according to his will, his sovereignty. He's sovereign over all of these works. But he was doing all these things. There were, and you can think simply even about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is constantly giving truth, making truth claims about himself, making absolute statements about his own authority to forgive sins, about his deity, and about his mission to live the righteous life that we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, and then to rise again so that one day we too can rise again. And he accompanied these teachings with various miracles and signs. The feeding of the 5,000 is a great example. Uh, The healing of a lame beggar. Let's remember when he, in John 9, had this exchange regarding a man blind from birth. John 9, 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this one who used to sit and beg? Others said, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. So this is, a, this is one of those miracles. But Jesus uses this opportunity not to make a spectacle or uh, merely just to show his power. It's completely wrapped up in not only making the Pharisees stumble over their own uh, ideas, their own blindness, their own hatred of God, but to deliver uh, a teaching. Not only that it was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but that the works of God could be displayed in him. So this man's suffering is for God's glory. That's not anything that the Pharisees would ever consider. They were looking to place blame for what had happened to him. But he says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So that, you know, there will be a time, namely the final judgment, where there will be no more opportunity to do the works of God and to live an obedient life and to love and enjoy God forever. That now's the time to repent and believe and truly be obedient to God, not be obedient to man's laws the way the Pharisees were, and not only to do the works, but to do the works of him who sent me, he says. So he's already speaking of his own unique place as the Messiah, as the mediator between God and man. And he's using this opportunity, this miracle, to deliver this teaching and put yet another stumbling block in front of the Pharisees who were holding the people of Israel hostage with their traditions. 
So Jesus does many signs and wonders similar to this all through all four Gospels. But we can also think about this back uh, in the Old Testament as well. So this is we've talked about a New Testament example, but think about the awesome spectacle that was the pillar of cloud and then also the pillar of fire as the people of Israel were leaving Egypt and walking out into the desert. Those were certainly miracles or signs or whatever word you'd want to attach to them. They were hugely important and a a supernatural element that not only were involved with guiding the people physically out of the country of Egypt, but perhaps more importantly, they were signifying God's sovereign hand in guiding his people. Now, we know that Israel was very sinful very quickly after they were freed from slavery in Egypt, but all the same, God's presence was still with them, and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night were tangible representations of that. And by representation, I don't mean like a metaphor, like a literary device. Um, They were very much literally going before the people. And while you cannot look upon the face of God and live, as God says in the Old Testament, he mercifully testified to his faithfulness by giving them the sign of those pillars. And I think that's one part of what the preacher is talking about here. Signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So again, God is sovereign over all of this. He's sovereign over giving the gifts, what gifts he gives, and to whom he gives them. So here's something I've considered when looking at this text, is that God hasn't left us alone to try to figure out who he is and what he's like, what he's done, and how he sees us. He's left us with the authoritative word that not only have other people confirmed, but he himself has confirmed his word, and he's preserved it, and he has not left us alone to try to ponder the mystery of who he is. He's given us this word. He's given us also uh, a body of believers to be part of with whom we can discuss the scriptures, to hear scripture preached when we gather for worship, uh, scriptures to sing, to memorize, to consider in good times and bad times. He's left us with so much revelation uh, in the scriptures that we should not be afraid of the doubts that the world projects toward God and toward the Bible. As I've said previously, that there's so much manuscript history to the written word that it is the most consistently documented ancient text that anyone has ever studied. So not only do we have that, but we actually have what is more, more important. We have the testimony of God to it. Now, what do I mean by that testimony? How do we describe it? And, and here's my best way I can think of to describe it. I'm not talking about like a Mormon burning in the bosom. If you consider the message and it gives you a feeling in your heart, then you're all right. I'm talking about God has testified to his word because 
the gospel, as presented in the text, is the power of God unto salvation. So the fact that people are saved, that their sins are forgiven, that they're granted new life in Christ, and then they continue in a way of life of worship and obedience and joy with God as a sanctified, but not finished yet, child of God, is the, I believe, the greatest testimony to the efficacy and power of God through His Word. It's not about simply an emotional response, although emotions are involved. It's not simply about being obsessed with the Bible and learning the words, but not taking in the meaning. I'm talking about having a change of heart, the heart of stone changed out for the heart of flesh, which is a work that only God can do, and He's promised to do it under the ministry of the Word. So I think that's the clearest indication of God's testimony of His Word is that his word works. It's faithful as a description of who he is and what he's done for his people. And when we obey it, when we listen to it, and we proclaim the gospel, it is effective on those whom God calls in every way, both not only initial confession of faith uh, and belief in Christ, forgiveness of sins, repentance of sins, but then also the continuing road of sanctification during the entire length of the Christian's life, that the Bible is sufficient for all of that, and the riches that God has in the pages of Scripture have never been exhausted by any Christian at any time. All right, so those are those are just some meditations on these couple verses in Hebrews 2. I hope this has been helpful. Uh, feel free to send me some feedback. Uh, the social links are in the, the notes. You can find me on Twitter at Ref Meditations. You can email me directly at reformedmeditations at gmail.com. Also, you should check the show notes for the link to the Bar Podcast Network. Reformed Meditations is a joyful Bar Network podcast family member. You're going to find so many solid, theologically-minded gospel-centered podcasts on our network, and uh, I highly commend all the shows there, and the shows uh, keep increasing. More and more podcasts are joining the network, and so this is a really exciting time to get in and start listening as well. I also want to give a shout-out to a group of new friends, the Exiled House of Meme Lords, and you're going to find a link to their conglomerate Facebook pages uh, also in the show notes. Uh, they, this is a um, an absolutely fascinating collective of Christian memers, and uh, they're putting out some really funny and, and really good stuff on social media, and so uh, I would recommend their pages to you, and you can find their link in the show notes. So, uh, without any further ado, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you.